1: Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. We're here to talk about true crime. Before we do that, I would like to talk about football for just a moment, if that's okay. My Steelers miraculously made the playoffs last night, and we're recording this on Monday night. The national championship game is about to take place over at Easy Street right now. You won't hear this in time to come and join us, but I'm very excited to finish recording tonight, walk right across the parking lot. We're here in the new Shane Givens Law office, which is adjacent to Easy Street Restaurant, Bar, and Performance Hall in Center. I'm very excited. Hello, guys. Hey, Scott. Hey, Scott. Um, my name is Scott Wright, and I am a mediocre journalist.
0: I'm Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer.
1: Um, So we are here tonight to do the second of a two-part episode about the Beatrice Six. If you are tuning in for the first time tonight, you want to stop right now, go back and listen to season two, episode one. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and get caught up on what we're talking about because this is a very interesting case. Uh, Kelly is in the big chair on this one for the second week in a row. So uh, we're going to sit back and let you take it away and finish the story that you started last week.
2: So I just want to give everybody the, the, the talking points from last week. So we had a very lovely grandmother and great-grandmother and mother who was raped and murdered in Beatrice, Nebraska, on February the 6th, 1985. Mm-hmm. And we had several persons of interest, 62 to be exact. Uh, we mentioned a few. We mentioned Bert. Was it Bert, Bruce Allen Smith? Bruce, Bruce Allen Smith, Smith was I'm the sorry. first
1: person mm-hmm. that we mentioned.
2: Mm-hmm. And... His test results came back and he was found to be type B blood, which is what we were looking for. Mm-hmm. But he is, uh, according to the test results, he was a secretor. And our perpetrator is a non-secreter.
1: Right. And, and he, he seemed suspicious at the beginning because he was in the area at a weird time of day on a very cold morning. He had been placed there and it seemed like he was a suspicious character, but his blood was wrong. So he could not have been the perpetrator of this
2: rape. So to speak. And so we enter in new law enforcement, the sheriff's office, we mentioned Burdett. What was Burdett's last name? Cersei. Cersei, that's right. Bert. We're for yeah, yeah, Bert. Bert, Bert Searcy. Searcy comes into play and somehow finagles five people to confess to this crime. They are going to go on and incriminate a sixth person and they're known as the Beatrice Six. And that's where we are here. We're in part two. We have a, uh, in the, in between those two things, in between the uh, Beatrice City Police, Beatrice Police Department, right, testing the blood of all the 62 persons of interest, we get the FBI involved. So if you go back to, uh, season two episode one of the Beatrice 6 you can listen to the very detailed FBI profile that I read directly from the profiler himself's book that's very interesting as well because he says there is one perpetrator and there's no doubt in his mind that there's that it's one perpetrator so to fast forward and have six people in custody is quite the stretch so I'm gonna turn it over to Katie from here to kind of talk about how in the heck did we get from this one perpetrator to now we have six perpetrators and it and the case has been taken over by the sheriff's department and Bert Searcy. Right. Right.
0: I'm gonna kind of go into detail about each individual member of the Beatrice Six. And how they came into the crime and into their confessions and into custody, I guess. So, like Kelly said, we've got Bert Searcy, who was leading the investigation. And then we have a man named Wayne Price, who is a deputy, but he's also a psychologist. He is, for lack of a better term, a police psychologist. And he interviews all six of these suspects as well he tells them every for each one that tells him that they can't remember what happened he tells them that memories of the murder would probably come back in dreams or deep thought but they may take a while he believes in the the phrase memory repression which is reflecting a popular movement among psychologists at the time Um, the same theory led to a numerous amount of wrongful convictions nationwide during this time you may be familiar with this term if you've ever looked into anything with the satanic panic Uh psychologists during that time would lead children to believe they were victims of sexual abuse when they really couldn't remember anything if you've ever done any research or listened to any podcast that sounds on vaguely that.
1: familiar yeah yeah
0: um you probably looked into uh satanic panic when we did the uh corpsewood manor
1: yes exactly that thank you for my i was sitting here spinning trying to remember when it was and that's exactly when it was it was the corpsewood manor case from 82 that we did over in uh chatuga county
2: and i just want to say uh dr price uh i'm i'm using that term very sarcastically mm-hmm. um dr price he did have a phd in psychology and um but he was also a reserve deputy sheriff as this tends to happen in smaller towns. You have people who may be a reserve deputy and have another type of day job. So he enters into these interviews with each of these people. Suppose he's, he's claiming that from the, the psychologist standpoint, however, he is a deputy in full deputy garb interviewing these people. And two of the Beatrice Six, he had seen previously at his practice uh one joanne joanne taylor when for a custody battle and he had also uh what was the other lady that he had seen previously? Uh, Debbie Sheldon. Debbie Sheldon, who, um, right. so this this is not. I don't know the laws in the in nineteen eighty five about this, but I will say this has never, nor will it ever, be ethical.
0: Yes, I was about to say it, regardless of legality, it mm. can't the be the
2: ethics of this quote doctor are sickening to me.
1: Yeah, sickening. so I mean, just to, to summarize briefly, so he has sat in a room with these people before, and and established a profile or or talk to them long enough to know what kind of person they are. So one year or two years later, he's in a different capacity as a deputy sheriff now trying to get them to admit to being in a room when a murder took place. And he has all of these insights about their psyche that he allegedly was able to use in in conjunction with Bert Searcy's uh, interview tactics to convince these people to make confessions that they later wish that they had not, perhaps.
2: And uh, he's using a theory that has been debunked time and time again. As far as the dreams, if you think about your dreams, holy crap! If my dreams were were <laughs> memories that I had repressed that were coming back to me, mm-hmm. uh, at some point in time, I have defied all laws of space and time. Yeah, and, I can right, fly. Gravity. By that logic, and, yeah, I am Superman. Everything. Right. right correct. So, this has been widely debunked. So, Katie, I'm sorry. I'll let you oh, get okay. back to to your story.
0: I was going to say, remember, this case was cold for four years. They couldn't find a culprit. They arrested dozens of people and tested them and sent them on their way because they're, they had this blood type that they were looking for that no one had. It was a very rare blood type. So, by 1989 they had decided that they were looking for people who were sexually unconventional and or collected porn. Like that was uh, one of their oh, yeah. profilings mm-hmm. on, on, suspects. So enter Joanne Taylor. This stemmed from at the time there was a 17 year old informant that told authorities that Joanne had confessed to her about the crime. No- nothing about this confession added up to the actual crime, but they brought her in anyway police brought her into interview and it wasn't long before she was convinced that she was guilty of the murder according to transcripts and federal court records uh joanne taylor told detectives that she was quote unquote was told that she was at wilson's apartment by the police who brought her to jail she said they had worked on bringing
2: back little bits of her memory yeah she also said in her interview that uh, she said, I was told that I was there. Mm-hmm. And, and Bert seriously says, something along the lines of, can you talk about that? Or, or, or what do you mean you were told you were there? And she said, the officers who arrested me told me they had evidence that I was there.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, according to the, to the book that I read about this case, Joanne Taylor had been diagnosed with Borderline with personality, borderline personality disorder.
2: Yes, and she also had several other issues. She was quite delusional yes. at times. Yeah,
1: and it seems like, and I don't know, Katie may address this, it just seems like the people who lived and worked in Beatrice would have known that about this woman and there wouldn't have been a lot of heed taken to the this very detailed and very wrong confession that she gave. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow someone was able to wad this ball of play-doh into something that looked like a pair of handcuffs
2: well that would be burt searcy yes and dr whoever wayne price price yeah sorry katie
0: when she was told she couldn't remember anything accurate about wilson's apartment what wilson was wearing or like she's she said i I can't remember why i would have went inside Mm -hmm. Uh, police told her don't worry uh, let us try and help you
1: refresh your memory.
2: She also originally said that they uh, went to a light-colored house. Um,
1: yeah, that was her first memory. Of, that
2: was her first memory. And In a
1: recorded videotaped interview with Bert yes. Searcy.
2: Yes, and um, Helen Wilson lived in a tall uh, red brick building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she first said they were in a light-colored house, and then she said that they were there. She was there with Joseph White. Um, and that Joseph was there to do some yard work. Um, on February the 6th,
1: 1985, the coldest day of the year in Beatrice, Nebraska. That it night, was seven below zero.
2: Yeah, but again, Helen, the, Helen Wilson, our victim, does not have a yard, she lives in a brick, a red brick apartment building. Yep, so that's what Joanne first says mm-hmm. when she's interviewed,
0: and then. Somehow through conversation, she mentions to the police that, well, I do always block bad things out. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, they were like, well, I guess this is another bad thing that you've just blocked from your memory.
2: She also said that, um, that she had been using drugs that night and that the walls were melting.
1: That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was, uh, she was delusional on multiple levels yes. and yet somehow.
2: And was an active substance user. Yeah.
0: But she ultimately confesses that she suffocated Helen Wilson with a pillow while a man named Joseph White
2: raped her. Now, Joseph White is our tie to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we said we were going to go outside of the South doing cases, and ultimately, this is a Nebraska case. But Joseph White is our Alabama tie. He's from Coleman. Yes
1: and no. We have we've gone outside of the state lines, but we have this one little connection still. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yep. So let's talk about Joseph White. He had been a nude model and a pornography filmmaker. He met Joanne Taylor in California in the early 80s, and they came back to be actress where Joanne was from, and they continued making these porn videos from time to time. Um, Let it be known that Joanne Taylor did not have the correct blood type that was found in the apartment, and neither did Joseph White.
2: That is correct. Also, Joseph White, uh, growing up, was a Boy Scout. Uh, He also went into the military and served his time and was honorably discharged. And then went out to Hollywood and, you know, made some porn films. And
0: and if you remember back, that was part of the profile that the county police department was looking for. Was people who had things to do with porn or...
1: When they decided to refocus mm-hmm. on... When, when Searcy took over for the Sheriff's Department and they decided... Am I am yeah. I saying this right? When when Searcy got hired on at the Sheriff's Department, he decides he's going to reopen this case. And that's his angle mm-hmm. to take to try and solve it because the previous angle didn't work. They didn't pay any attention to the FBI profile. No. They did their own thing.
0: White was adamant that he did not commit this murder, that he he, he was not there, he did not do this. He could not be talked into remembering
2: that he did it. Correct. He's the only one of the Beatrice Six that doesn't confess. Who
1: steadfastly maintained his innocence.
2: Mm -hmm. And when neither of them
0: had the correct blood type and White would not confess, police decided there must be more suspects involved. It, It must not have been just the two of them. Like I said, there was no other evidence to place White there except his friend's false memories and... Uh, spoiler alert, an uh, upcoming dream that he was Ah,
1: at. I think I saw that one coming based on, yeah.
0: Detectives sure. threatened to test his blood, hair, and semen to prove his guilt. And he said, please.
1: Go for it. Test it,
2: it all. Uh, he, he freely offered it. Yes. Yeah.
1: He told his mother, when, when they came to Alabama and picked him up and hauled him away in handcuffs in front of his mother, he said, mom, don't worry. This is a mistake. I'll be back in a couple of weeks when we get this straightened out.
0: He files motions uh, for a DNA test to be done, and the court denies these motions. And during this time, Joanne Taylor mentions that there was another boy at the crime scene with the two of them. So enter Thomas Winslow. When she mentions that there's another boy in the crime scene, they bring out a photo lineup, of people and she picks out thomas winslow out of this photo lineup he's currently incarcerated at the time and he just so happened to be a high school friend of joanne taylor's so she picks him out of this lineup he also does not have the correct blood type
2: that they are looking for but they arrest him anyway so well. that's O for three but three for three arrests. Well, yes. they don't okay. arrest
1: him. He's already so he's in already jail. He's already incarcerated. Yes. But okay, they, they can't wait to talk to him because maybe he doesn't want to be in jail anymore, right, Katie? Mm-hmm.
0: So they let him know, you know, if you talk to us and you know we go over what happened here, you know, you'll, you'll get out quicker.
2: Always um, interesting. I can can't imagine how many incarcerated individuals perk up yeah. and say, "Oh, I'm." Very willing to help,
0: and so he does get out of jail on on what he was serving for. Currently, only to be picked back up for this crime.
1: Yeah, he had been uh, he was in jail because he had been involved in a robbery where somebody got bashed over the head with a crowbar. So, uh, according to the book that I read, he was going to be in jail for several years for this for perpetrating this crime, this burglary. And so, when he had a chance to admit to being involved in in the murder of Helen Wilson, Mm -hmm. not involved, but to finger other people who had been involved. Say he was there
0: and he knew about, he knew what went on that night.
1: Yeah. And that's just how, I guess how intelligent Tom Winslow wasn't because in order to describe these things that happened, he's placing himself at the scene of the crime Mm -hmm. and that's going to come back to bite him in the ass as Katie just mentioned.
0: And enter suspect number four, Debbie Sheldon. She was targeted because she hung around the group, and they brought her in. and After interviews with police and with Price, the psychologist, uh, he brought into the he brought the idea that she had repressed the memory of the crime, and so she's like, "He convinced her that she'd repressed this memory, and so she confesses." She also brings in our fifth suspect after she has a dream that a man named James Dean was at Wilson's house that night too.
1: Not that James
2: Dean. (laughs) Not Not the actor James Dean. But I just wanted to say one thing about Debbie um, Sheldon. In watching some of the interviews with Debbie Sheldon, it does not take you 60 seconds to figure out that she um, has a learning disability.
1: She is mentally deficient.
2: She is, and and she is, um, her IQ is not very high. Mm -hmm. And I'm not being, I'm not trying to be hateful to her. No,
1: that's a, no. But
2: it's one of the first things that you notice when you watch the interview. She's very easily manipulated. And I think with the exception of Joseph White, That is one consistency that you see with all of these individuals is I don't believe that any of them with the exception, with the, with the, good God, delete that. (laughs) Um, I don't believe that any of them, with the exception of Joseph White. Uh, has a very high
1: iq i, I, I it seems like that's pretty uh, according to what I, I read somewhere in order to be able to be manipulated the way that these people were all manipulated, you would have to be very easily persuaded for a variety of reasons perhaps uh, uh, adolescence he said in in one case or maybe uh, low self-esteem or maybe some sort of learning disability
2: and I and these are all
1: adult human beings
2: they are all adult human beings. I believe they have Several of them have mental health issues, and I believe most of them have low IQ.
0: And Debbie did not have the correct blood type either.
2: So we got to keep going. So we're 0 for 4. 0 for 4. But we're 4 for 4 in the big house. Yes. Okay.
0: (laughs) So James is arrested after Debbie dreamed he was there after some interviews with Price, the psychologist, he also believes he forgot the violent assault that happened. And he is, he gives his false confession. He also does not have type blood, type B blood.
2: Right. Oh, oh, Ladies and gentlemen, we're over five. Yeah. How are we going to get this blood type? We've got to have somebody yeah. with this blood type.
1: Or the whole thing goes off the
2: rails. Exactly.
0: Well, enter suspect number six, Kathy Gonzalez. She falls under suspicion when Debbie Sheldon and James Dean said that they dreamed about her being
1: at the scene.
2: Now, she lives in the apartment above Helen Wilson, correct? She lives in the building. Mm -hmm. There
1: was a time when she did.
2: Does she still live there? I thought she...
1: I'm not clear on that. Maybe she still did at the time that she was in But at one point in time, later. she
2: was Helen Wilson's neighbor. When
1: the murder took place, she was the upstairs neighbor. Now, this is four years later, so I don't know if okay. she still does, but right. at the time, oh,
0: yeah, of, the murder, at the time of the murder, she She was the upstairs
2: neighbor. Yes, okay. correct.
0: She tries to hold her ground. She says, I could swear I was just doing laundry that night. Like, I remember mm-hmm. that night and I was doing laundry. And the psychologist... Wayne Price assures her that she had um, probably witnessed Wilson's murder and just couldn't remember.
1: See, I I wrote down a note on uh, yesterday afternoon. I was was preparing for today, and there was this one thing that I wrote down, and I just wrote down the word alibis with like four question marks because Mm -hmm. there wasn't anything that I had really read anywhere that described to me what... Any of these people had for an alibi, but Katie has just made me realize that they all probably started out with an alibi.
2: They did. And then and Dr. Price
1: convinced them that they were misremembering it and that mm-hmm. their dream was actually telling them where they had been that
2: night. Yeah, Dr. Price, quote doctor, yeah, would uh, do that. However, there was also a couple of interrogations with Burt Searcy where you have Joanne Taylor and you have Thomas Winslow and they're not remembering things very well. Mm. If you'll recall back to Joanne's interview about the light colored house and doing the yard work, and Bert Searcy would say, Okay, I think you do you need a break?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, the, the are you, mysterious you, breaks on they the They would interviews. have it,
2: let's turn this, let's turn the camera off for a minute and give you a break. And the camera would be off, you know, 44, 45 minutes. And then when they, when it would come back on, All of a sudden, they were remembering everything, Mm -hmm. and they were, you know, it was no longer a light-colored house; it was a brick building. Well,
1: I mean, I I guess, Katie, the threat being, I mean, we can only assume what the threat was, but we all know that they signed plea deals to lesser charges than than murder one. So they, they, they admitted to being in the room when a murder, murder was committed, maybe it's second degree murder, whatever it is, but it's a plea deal. So they get 10 year sentences and they can get out in five with good behavior. And these low intelligence individual individuals are like, Hey, I guess five years is better than being burned in the electric chair because that's what they're being threatened with. Right. If they don't cop up to being at this thing. Yeah. If you go to trial, you're going to lose and you're going to the chair. So sign this document Go to jail for 10 years. You're out in five with good behavior and we'll keep going until we get somebody with type B blood.
0: Simplified version, but yes.
1: Right. I finally understand this case.
0: (laughs) Well, price asks Gonzalez if uh, she ever had memory problems and she said, no, I mean, maybe like in school, I couldn't really remember school lessons. Well, but besides that, no. And, She's arrested anyway, and it turns out she does have type B blood.
2: Is she a secretor, or is she a non-secreter, Katie?
0: She is a secretor.
2: And they keep her. And they keep her anyway. So, the the same- Same
1: reason that Bruce Smith go.
2: Bruce Smith, if you'll remember, in March- of 1985 was let go for this very reason yep. as was 61 other people mm-hmm. that they found
0: but we have five people who don't even have the type b blood and one person with the type b blood but is a secretor exactly as bruce allen smith was and we have six people arrested
1: well the first time this happened when all those 62 people got rightfully let go that was the beatrice police Department. Yes, And then in this case, when we kept somebody, despite the fact that their five cohorts, none of them had the right blood. You still had the wrong blood technically, but now Burt Searcy has, he's...
2: And this is the Sheriff's Department. This is
1: the Gage County Sheriff's Department. And
2: it's also based on interviews that Burt Searcy began with Lisa Podendorf. We mentioned her last Mm -hmm. week. Lisa Podendorf was the 17-year-old informant who says she had this meeting with Joanne Taylor. Yeah.
1: She told that story within months of the crime taking place to Burt Searcy, but it's when he was a hog farmer yes. and was not involved in law enforcement.
2: Correct. And he was looking into this case. On his own. On his own. he
1: was a Claiming
2: friend. to be a private investigator, although the books that I read and the documentaries that I watched could never verify that he had that type of licensure.
1: I, I agree. But I mean, Katie, I mean, a former police officer in a small town, friend of the family, I can see where he would feel like he had something to offer to this family. And to this day, when you interview that Keith Morrison video that we watched, they interview Helen Wilson's grandson, Shane Wilson. And he says, look, I don't. I can't tell you that Bert Searcy arrested the right people but i can tell you that he 1000 percent believes that he arrested the right people
2: he does maybe, which his, is, maybe uh, his
1: intelligence level is not much higher than the people he arrested which
2: is which is a further testament to the fact that he really never should have been in law enforcement Agreed. i'm sorry I, no I, I agree i, I don't I agree. just come out and say that about someone but this is this is appalling, Katie's, egregious. Yeah,
1: Katie's keeping her lips sealed on whether or not that was. Well, no, she did just say egregious as I it was is taking
2: very much so. There. I agree. Very I think much it was so.
1: Ridiculous that this happened.
0: Well, we've got six people arrested, so we've got six different cases here. Kathy Gonzalez and Thomas Winslow plead no contest to their charges, and so they are sentenced and they are booked and they are in prison. We've got Joanne Taylor. James Dean and Debbie Sheldon, they all plead guilty to their charges and they're sentenced and they're booked and they're in prison. And then we've got Joseph White who pleads not guilty. Remember, he is begging for the DNA test. The court is turning him down, not allowing him to have a DNA test. And so he is
2: convicted by a jury of his peers and some of these witnesses testifying, yes, these quote witnesses testifying in his mm-hmm. trial. That's true. To these confessions that they've yeah,
1: made. Dean did and Taylor did, I know for a fact, right? Yes. At yep. least two of them did.
2: Yes. And so the family hears all of this and they hear these things, these horrible things, and they're ready to just fry Joseph White. Mm-hmm. Joseph White also doesn't really, he testifies on his own behalf. Yeah. And doesn't really do a very good job because. The prosecutor shows him a photo of Helen Wilson. Helen Wilson, if you think about the town that you live in, Helen Wilson was the beloved, older, grandmotherly lady in that town. Mm -hmm. People loved her. Very much so. And no one had anything bad to say about Helen Wilson. And then the way that she died was so unbelievably horrible. And they show her photo to Joseph White. And they say, do you know, know, who is this? And he just says, it's an old lady. Mm -hmm. And people in the courtroom said, you could just hear the mm air leave the courtroom when he said that. But to him, Helen Wilson, he didn't know her. That was a picture of an old lady. Yeah.
0: They shouldn't have let him testify.
2: Oh, that was horrible because the jury was done at that point. Well, I... (laughs)
1: I I understand, Katie, I totally understand what you're saying, but think about it. If you're wrongly convicted, you're sitting in jail, you're about to go potentially to the electric chair, and it would be hard. Somebody would have to spend a lot of time talking me out of trying, at least, to go up on the witness stand and and get myself out of this, but here's why you don't, Mm -hmm. right? Here's exactly why you don't. Right,
2: and let me be clear. I I was that was an uncomfortable laugh i just did i'm not laughing this is this is a very uncomfortable situation but the jury i could not imagine in this town if if you take a you know a beloved older lady and her to to be raped and murdered and and then have someone on the stand who in the court of public opinion has already been convicted to say to look at her picture and go it's an old lady yeah and just kind of dismiss her that way. So it was it was very bad. A lack
1: of preparation on the defense attorney's behalf, I would say. I mean, surely to God, somebody knew at some point they're going to show you a picture of her and you say, "That's a sweet looking old lady," I, I, but I never met her. I don't I've know never, if they. I've knew. never seen that
2: woman in my life. I don't know if they knew if the prosecution was going to do that. I don't know, but that
1: makes them a bad attorney if they didn't.
2: Yeah, and and it, really, he shouldn't have been like Katie said. And yeah, Katie's right to start with. He should have
1: never been on the uh, on the witness stand.
2: Okay, sorry, Katie. Go ahead. Well,
0: it wasn't until 2007 they're all sitting in prison uh, that he, that Joseph White successfully petitioned the Nebraska Supreme Court to allow the DNA testing to be done in this case.
2: Now let's let's go back before you reveal this. Mm-hmm. I think everybody probably knows what's going to be revealed by this point. But let me say this: people are believing. That in that tiny little apartment of Helen Wilson's, six people plus Helen were up in that apartment all at one time, and the only thing we have to show for it are one blood type from one of the people, no fingerprints from any of the people. Mm-hmm. How do you, how does that happen? How do six people? Go into. Well, I can tell you, we're well, you sitting to, in we're sitting in in Katie's office right now, and there's three of us, and we have plenty of room. And my fingerprints are probably all over the the place.
1: Oh God! Yeah, are you kidding? I mm-hmm. mean,
2: you're not going to be able to say, "Well, we can't find any evidence." Of yeah, she was Kelly rifling through there. the
1: drawers a minute ago. Katie, you might want to True, I was going through all of your
2: personal belongings. Yeah, so yeah, totally. But, I mean, fingerprints I'm just, everywhere. <laughs> I'm just saying that's hard to believe. Oh yeah. And hard to buy. Mm-hmm. But they, it was bought. But it was bought, and yeah, it was Yeah, we suspended sold.
1: disbelief on this case a long time ago.
2: Yeah.
0: In 2008, the court-ordered DNA testing revealed that none of the six people convicted of the 1985 rape and murder of Helen Wilson in Beatrice, Nebraska, matched the blood or semen recovered from the victim's apartment.
1: And and that was and Katie mentioned earlier where Wyatt had lobbied to try and get DNA testing done years before. DNA testing for those of you who don't know was just a, it was a brand new thing in the mid nineteen eighties, and they still hadn't figured out how to do it, and it wasn't nearly as technologically advanced as it was by two thousand and eight.
0: Right, the prosecutor at the center of the Beatrice six wrongful conviction case who declined to run DNA test on the crime scene evidence. Um, he was he later testified in a wrongful conviction suit and he he said for one it would be expensive to do it was, it wasn't cheap at the time that they didn't think that the test results would even be admitted by a judge in 1989 because it was so new even at, and there are arguments back and forth on that because in uh there was DNA was used to obtain a murder conviction the previous year in New York. Ah, okay. So, in 1988, DNA was used in New York for a murder conviction. But the forensic tool did not gain full acceptance by the Nebraska Supreme Court until 1997. hmm DNA was first used in the United States in 1987 to obtain a rape conviction in Florida. But like I said, not until 97 was it admitted in Nebraska. So that is a full 10 years after the first time it was ever used in a case that Nebraska recognized DNA results as valid scientific evidence.
1: I would, I would say that sounds ass backwards, but I shudder to think when Alabama made that same decision. So uh, maybe we'll find that out in some future podcast episode.
2: Well, and I want you to remember that he talked about how expensive that test would be Uh how much does it cost do.
1: you to keep somebody wrongfully incarcerated well, for 20 years? Okay, dumbass. Just, just
2: keep that in mind. Yeah, right. keep yeah. Keep that in mind. Oh yeah, good yeah. point. I know, where, because, I know
1: where you're going with that.
2: Um
0: Well, let me in okay, so Richard his name is Richard Smith. He was the Gage County attorney. And he was questioned about this, like I said, in a in a wrongful conviction suit later on. And he had written to a lab at the time, and received like a packet of information back from this lab. And uh, the letters from the lab—it was a lab operating in Maryland, a DNA lab called Cellmark Diagnostics. And the letter said that they could test DNA from minute amounts of evidence, mixed stains, or multiple sources. And the letter enclosed an information packet about their services. The testing would have cost 350 dollars per sample
2: just remember that please yeah
0: and they asked if since the samples at the time would have been four years old would it have mattered and it said that they had successfully done tests on uh, their lab had successfully done tests on nine-year-old samples and the tests had been reliable. So
1: Gage County voters, when you go to the polls in November, if Richard Smith is still the DA on the ballot, think about that when you think about how much money he cost your county, ultimately.
0: Well, and he literally testified that he didn't read the lab packet that they sent back with their letter. He did
2: not read the lab packet.
1: I wow, I would have preferred a an I do not recall response to. Nope, I'm an idiot. I threw well, it in the garbage. He
0: said he could not recall whether he shared a copy of the letter that they sent with the packet with the the with the defendant's court-appointed attorneys back then. said so he he knew he read the letter, but he couldn't remember if he shared it with the court-appointed attorneys. For I'm going to say defendants. probably not. Uh,
1: yeah, so no discovery on that, right? Yeah.
0: Yes, but.
1: Well, but damn it, isn't it the damn defense attorney's job to also have called that same lab a month before the DA thought of it and try to get his client off?
0: Well, no, they out of prison. No, they motioned to have the DNA test done.
1: Okay, I got it.
0: Joseph Watts' attorneys had filed a motion to have DNA testing done and it was denied.
1: I want I mean, maybe this is a dumb question we may cut this. Why could could, could joseph white not send his own blood off to the lab and have it independently tested he i mean i guess not right? To the well
2: court. you got first access. you gotta have access but then secondly would a judge even allow it would they well even, i guess that's the thing you right? know yeah okay and so b-
0: before i get into the civil lawsuit they had a psychologist named eli chosen evaluate the group after after all this happened and um he stated that they were all suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. While in prison, a number of the group would still cry to their families and friends about their regret and remorse for, and shame of the crimes that they supposedly
2: committed. So they
1: still believe they had done it at because
2: the time. They, have, they were, were swindled into believing that they yeah. did this. Because of their dreams,
1: they became convinced that their dreams reflected their own They were manipulated, yeah.
2: and they truly believed they had done something wrong, and felt the remorse about it. Mm-hmm. And I want to get
0: into the civil suit before I before we get into um, what wh- where that DNA also led us. Okay, but so in two thousand nine, Joseph White files a civil suit and. Like I mentioned, some of that testimony was brought up from the former prosecutor, and he is awarded a $28.1 million settlement. The amount of that award was based on the reckless nature of the investigation, as well as like, you know, the time all six of them had spent in prison.
1: Right. Well, a
2: lot of them had completed their time. Yeah. I and mean, Joseph White had not completed yeah, this his is... time. But some of the ones who took plea deals- This is 20 years later. Were-, were Already out. Mm-hmm. They completed the right. time. Yeah,
0: and this did exonerate them. You know, kind of clears their record, but it it doesn't give them
2: it doesn't give them back that time. No. And let me just ask for the math experts in the room. Not me. Twenty eight point one million dollars is considerably more expensive than the three hundred and something dollars for the uh, DNA. Yeah, yeah I just point, wanted to be sure.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, at some point, and I I. I don't mean this about anybody that we know here in the local community. We've got a great bunch of law enforcement officials and and, and prosecutors and whatnot. But at some point, don't you just want justice? Didn't you swear an oath to the Constitution to uphold justice? If you know that you've got somebody in jail who didn't do it, shouldn't you want to get them out as fast as you can? Because there's a murderer on the loose.
2: Exactly. I mean, you don't want any more beloved older ladies raped and murdered. On your watch. Yeah, and
1: I'm probably going to get in trouble for dropping an F-bomb in the middle of the word Constitution. But we'll deal with that when we get
2: Who's there. going to get on to you yeah. for that? I don't know. Um, so, the county has to pay this $28.1 million um, debt Yes, and it that is-, is owed. And the county had to raise taxes in order to do it. So, the, so the taxpayers... Um, the
0: taxpayers are the real
2: sufferers. Correct. Because...
1: Well, isn't that always the case? Because oh,
2: Bert yeah. Searcy was an employee in the county... It did none of that civil. He was
1: indemnified by the county, so he didn't know a thing.
2: Absolutely. Nor,
1: nor did Doctor <coughs> Doctor Wayne Price.
2: No, so neither one of them had to foot any of this bill, and guess what? They're both now retired, and I'm sure the county's paying their pension, drawing a pension right now. Katie, that, go there ahead. you go. Oh, I was gonna yeah. say that award was three
0: times the Gage County annual budget.
2: Yeah, so the taxpayers are paying for all this. As well as the retired mm-hmm. investigators and officer, doctor, whatever, right. for their pension.
0: Yep.
2: How about that? Yeah. So you're probably wondering who actually committed who, this? Crime. Uh, thank you, Katie. Who did this? <laughs> Somebody tell me who is the perpetrator? Who is the horrible, singular individual who did this to this wonderful, sweet lady?
0: Well, while this test exonerated Joseph White and five of his co-defendants, it did lead us to Bruce Allen Smith. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Bruce Allen Smith.
1: Somebody, I guess, finally figured out that maybe we could send off this blood sample that he gave us in 1988 or 89 and see if this DNA works for him too. 1985,
2: 1985, one month later.
1: Okay, it was a month later. March. Okay, okay.
2: And you may think,
0: well, he was ruled out. But it turns out that Miss Joyce Gilchrist, who was a forensic chemist out of Oklahoma, I know that's a little confusing. We're, our crime's in Nebraska, but they're getting a forensic chemist out of Oklahoma to test these samples. She has entered his information wrong in the system. Mm-hmm. And not only. So that was back in
2: 85. She did this. She
0: just. He was a he was type B, he was a non secreter and she puts him in as type B as a secretor.
1: So that one little mistake twenty years ago caused six people's lives to go upside down topsy turvy and a rapist and murderer walked away.
0: Well and and at the time. Yeah. And Gilchrist, I mean, this is not the only time she's been involved in something like mm. this. She participated in more than three thousand criminal cases in her twenty-one years working for the Oklahoma City Police Department, and uh, she was accused of falsifying evidence to help prosecutors. Uh, her evidence led, in part, to like twenty-three people being sentenced to death, twelve of whom have been executed. And yikes!
2: You know pers- that's on your hands. Yep, that yeah. blood is on your hands, ma'am.
1: And and the reason that they sent that to Oklahoma, we talked about this uh, off the air. Um, Bruce Allen Smith had moved from Beatrice, Nebraska to Oklahoma. So when they tracked him down, I guess jurisdictional laws or rules apply. So they d- the, the folks from Nebraska who were concerned about this Bruce Allen Smith didn't bring his blood sample back with them. They had to send it to the Oklahoma lab, I assume. And that's why the Oklahoma lab gets involved and everybody just takes her word for it for 20 years until what Katie just told us.
0: Mm-hmm. And like... She- She's just fired. Like, she's fired in... She had already been fired before this comes out. She was fired in September of 2001 due to flawed casework analysis and laboratory mismanagement. Um, And, of course, she constantly denies any wrongdoing. And she was never charged with a crime.
1: Wow. Even though 23 people got sent to death row and 12 of them were killed on death row and she got it wrong.
2: And I imagine... A lot of these things that she's being accused of is it's it's one of those things where it's probably hard to prove right. a lot of yeah, that. Yeah, I guess so.
1: But um either in this life or the next.
2: But yeah, she'll get it. She knows which yeah. what she did wrong. Yeah, she's either which incompetent one she, or
1: she's a criminal and she knows.
2: And she knows. And so if if she is in fact a criminal, then Yeah. I mean Wow ma'am, how do you I, sleep at night? Yeah.
0: What I do every day for a living, like if I mess up, it causes people problems. And, you know, you mess up a real estate transaction and like they're mad and there's like a lot of work involved fixing that. But it's, and, and so like it's important. Like, and and that's horrible. It's a horrible ha- feeling when have, you do that. We have people who five different people look at, you know, something you're doing. You know, you try to make, sure, I have a lot of money passing through my hands every day. You try to make sure you take every precaution to get your job right. And her job is a, yeah. a lot more important
2: yeah oh my gosh, i I couldn't imagine
0: yeah, I, and it just seems yeah. like there was no oversight that there was I mean, she right. just was allowed to and so by run the wrong. time
2: they do this and they say, "Aha, we've got our man." Well, Bruce Allen Smith has been dead for years. He died in nineteen ninety two so Bruce Allen Smith never saw justice for this. and uh, if you watch the Keith Morrison documentary where he investigates the Beatrice 6. It's it's called Keith Morrison investigates mm-hmm. and then it's the Beatrice, Beatrice 6. Six. Yeah. yeah. It shows um I can't remember the lady's name that he had interviewed, but she was the one who got the results back and uh-huh. and learned that it in fact was Bruce Allen Smith. She was a member of the task force that was designed to investigate this Mm
1: -hmm. to to try and find the real murderer after everyone else had been let go because of the DNA evidence.
2: Yes. And so she lays the lab results on top of his, uh, grave,
1: his tombstone
2: and takes a photo and says, you left something behind. And she said that was the only way that she knew to slap
1: the handcuffs on him.
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he was never punished or brought to justice for this horrific crime. Now, if you look at Bruce Allen Smith, he fits that FBI profile that we talked about last week to a T. Yeah. If you go back and listen to the profile, he had lived in the building before, so he knew the building. He he had a grandmotherly figure that he lived with there in that building that he despised. All of the other things the age, his build, the way people describe him, all of that fits that FBI profile.
1: And and, and In addition to a phrase that I remember the FBI agent saying in that Keith Morrison video, a violent, retaliatory rapist.
2: Exactly. And the same person who attempted the rapes in 1983, when mm-hmm. we talked about that last same week. Same profile. Same person. The FBI profile said, you're dealing with the same person. Yeah. And he, the timeline fits of when he was in Beatrice mm-hmm. in those years. It does fit for Bruce Allen Smith. And so that is, he. he was our perpetrator. And they had him yep. one month later. One month yeah. later.
1: And let him go. And then six people's lives went horribly wrong
0: yeah they spent a combined like 77 years in prison
2: yeah and And almost bankrupt the county
0: yeah i mean and i mean i'm sure this county still hasn't paid this debt who knows i mean who knows uh joseph
2: uh, joseph white unfortunately is no longer with us when he moved back to alabama he lived here for a couple of years and then had an accident where he works and was crushed by some of the machinery yeah there um, so in the documentary, you don't ever get to to hear from him, but you do hear from his mother and you learn a little bit about him, who he was and
1: And she is from Coleman, Alabama. Yes, Let me she just go is. ahead and tell you. And if, if you don't know what I mean yet, you will know when you hear her speak. <laughs> Bless her heart. What a sweet lady. Oh, yeah. shout
2: out to Coleman, Alabama. We love you. 100
1: percent from Coleman,
2: Alabama. <laughs> um, so one of the fascinations about this case is how how and why would five people confess to something that they did not do if you watch i keep going back to the keith morrison documentary if you watch it they interview a family member of helen wilson's and the family collectively has not forgiven any of these people with the exception of joseph white and the reason being is they understand and can respect the fact that joseph white always said he was innocent he never confessed to anything and they have forgiven him they cannot bring themselves to forgive the other five people who would bring themselves to confess something so horrible and to go as far as Testify in court and they had to hear some of the horrible things that they are saying that happened to their grandmother that mother, it turns out was made up. That was completely made up. Right. And so the family, and I'm not faulting the family. I, I could not imagine being in their position. They did not receive justice. And shame on Bert Searcy for that. Yeah. For playing with these people's emotions. Shame on you. And that's horrible. And this family's gone through something horrible and my heart goes out to them. So I completely understand that. I I understand them questioning that and not being able to forgive that. Um, But like I said, they did say they forgive Joseph White. Mm -hmm. Um, But looking into false confessions, just want to give a few facts. Uh, Police induced false confessions are among the leading causes of wrongful convictions. Since the late 1980s, six studies alone have documented approximately 250 interrogation-induced false confessions. In a 1987 study, false confessions were the third leading cause of wrongful conviction. In a 2003 study, they were the single leading cause. Police-induced false confessions appear to occur primarily in the more serious cases especially homicides and other high-profile felonies. More than 80% of the 125 false confessions documented by Professors Steve Drizzen and Richard Leo occurred in homicide cases. False confessions make for the leading cause of wrongful convictions in homicide cases. So people aren't just falsely confessing to stealing you know, someone's purse. They're confessing to homicide.
1: And I guess I'll just never understand the mentality of somebody who goes into a room and sits down with a police officer when they start asking you questions that make it sound like you did something horrible when you don't say, excuse me, am I under arrest? Can I leave? Either arrest me and let me ask for my lawyer or I'm walking out the door. And maybe it's a little bit more complicated than that. I suppose they can hold you for a certain amount of time.
0: It is a little more complicated than that. And I think... Shane mentioned this at our live show, but he did. I just remember. But they, I mean, they're trained to. I mean, the smartest person
2: could still. It's not immediate. Be coaxed
1: into saying something. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. and there have been studies that where where they know people are innocent, mm-hmm. and they and they bring them in. Yeah, and then they interrogate them to see if they will confess
1: have you listened to the episode that we've been doing for the last hour
2: <laughs> <laughs> a
1: perfect example of that very thing i it, mean really exactly it really is.
2: but they these were research studies set up where people volunteered yeah. going into this thinking they're never going to confess to something and end up confessing um just a few more statistics that i have here uh more than two-thirds of the DNA-cleared homicide cases documented by the Innocence Project were caused by false confessions. There have been 317 post-conviction DNA exonerations in the United States. Um... Which
1: doesn't sound like a lot necessarily unless you're one of those 317 people who knows Mm. you didn't do it.
2: The average length of time served by people who were exonerated is 13.5 years. So the wheels (sighs) of justice grind slowly. They sure do. When at all. 92% of false confessors are men. 22% were mentally handicapped. Yeah. And that's a little bit of a dated term. Certainly, yeah. But that's... Yeah. I'm looking at the, the the statistics here from this, from these 1987 all the way up to 2003 studies. But a very high percentage of them have mental health issues, uh, learning disabilities. I
1: think we could go back again to uh, the Netflix series uh, about Stephen Avery that nephew of his, obviously. Making a murder. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if you watch that Brendan Dassey. If you watch the video when Brendan is in that room being interrogated for hours on end and he's he's obviously uh, mentally oh, without challenged.
2: Without his mother, he's also a minor.
1: Yeah. yeah no and mother, that. No, no
2: parent, no lawyer.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of, yeah, just, damn it guys, do your jobs right. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know. Sorry. And thank you to all of The The wonderful of all you wonderful people out there who do it right, and these these bad apples, you know, we're not going to allow them to make you all look bad. So
1: not on our watch.
2: Nope. Nope.
1: Um. All right. Well, uh, can I can I do a couple of things at the end of the show before we hang on? Absolutely. Um, I think since tonight is the national championship game, and nobody's going to hear this until Wednesday, we should all predict the final score of the game, and then when people listen to this on Wednesday, they will know who was right and who was wrong. Unless, I mean, I don't know how much of a fans of tonight's game you guys are it's alabama versus georgia for the college football national championship what do you guys think katie uh
2: as a graduate of auburn university i can't think of a worse matchup i know right yeah, I for me say it's
0: <laughs> <Columbia>. <laughs> <laughs> i um
2: i wouldn't even know where to start to predict it so oh, we're, gonna, on, so us, we're gonna, gonna write it down okay we're gonna predict scores
0: let me think it. a second right. 43 to 28 who I don't know. Alabama.
1: All right. Alabama, 43, Georgia, 28. Is 43
0: even a score you would get?
1: It's possible, oh, sure. Lord,
2: All right. And that's
1: and that's Katie. All right. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, what do you think?
2: Uh, give me a second. Right. Hold on. Go ahead and say yours.
1: Okay. I think it's going to be something more like, uh, and I was talking with, um, uh, with Greg Oliver, a good friend of ours. Uh, shout out to Greg over at Easy Street Restaurant, Bar, and Performance Hall earlier. We think it's going to be a game that comes down to a field goal at the end, and Alabama is going to have a chance to either win the game or lose the game on the last second field goal. So I'm going to say 37-34, um, Georgia.
2: I'm going to say, oh, I wow. Think,
1: I think Georgia's going to win
2: tonight. What? I
1: think it's uh, I'm going to say
2: 28-21, uh, Alabama. All right.
1: So we've got two Alabama high scores and one Georgia high score. Mm-hmm. Somebody can uh, email us. Later on in the week, when you hear this at <laughs> truecrimeonestreet at gmail dot com, and let us know how mm-hmm. smart or dumb we are. And go to our new website truecrimeoneasystreet.com dot and go to our Facebook page. Nobody goes to our Facebook page except the three of us, so go there, Facebook slash and like it, true crime something. Follow yeah. it, yeah. We,
0: we try to keep you updated there. Mm-hmm. Follow us indeed. on Instagram.
1: And we'll be here live again on the night. um, Live at the Easy Street across. We're now literally, we can look out the window and see Easy Street when Mm -hmm. we are doing the show. Mm -hmm. We'll be there on Wednesday, January the 19th at 7.30 p.m. doing a live show if Katie is, uh, I mean, if Kelly is uh, uh, back healthy by then.
2: (laughs) Thanks, guys. I I heard you did a great job without me, so.
1: You guys don't need me. Uh, you weren't there? I'm kidding. <laughs> we missed you horribly. Oh, shout out to my friend Shane Loveless. He gave me a ride. He's a listener of the show. He uh, gave me a ride last week when I had car trouble. Uh, so thank you, Shane Loveless. He's and afraid th- of Kevin Green's a relative.
2: Oh, oh, that, oh okay. Yeah, he's and a, a, I also... He's a brother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Dr. Clint Allen, who you did reach out to, and he explained secretor versus non-secreter, so I thank you. had a conversation
1: you. on Saturday. Thank you, Doc.
2: He is an actual doctor and a very good doctor. He is indeed.
1: So, yes. Are we done? The time I think so. To go? Yeah. Well, good night, everybody.